Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Mark Halpern is the editor of the Wide World of News daily newsletter. I am a paid subscriber. You should be. Great insights in my in-bin each and every day. He begins with the subject that we talked about in the first hour of the program under the headline, Agreeing in Part. It is rare that the dominant media, the Gang of 500, the Cable Pundits, and the Wall Street Journal Ed Board all sing from the same hymn book. But check out the Jago Gang speaking for all of the aforementioned regarding the cosmic meaning of the Virginia race. Quote, recent polls have the race tied, which means that Mr. Yunkin, Glenn Yunkin, has been gaining if Terry McAuliffe wins on November 2nd. Democrats will run against Donald Trump all the way to November of 2022. But if McAuliffe loses or wins by a whisker, it'll be a warning to Democrats that their leftward leap has put even a state trending left in play now that Mr. Trump is no longer the center of all political and media attention. This is Mark Halpern. Mark, I was what you would recommend, I should say, on the morning Zoom call today, meaning I was the person who said Trump can still screw this up for Yunkin since the state and national media would love that twist, meaning in the same way that he was able to control, I think, in a bad way for Republicans, the outcome of those two Georgia Senate races. Yeah, I mean, one of the frustrations in the Democratic Virginia community is that Youngkin hasn't really made a lot of mistakes. He's a first time candidate. He's done very well in getting his message out. And you saw last night in the president, President Biden's event with Terry McAuliffe and a lot of the McAuliffe messaging and advertising and elsewhere. They want to take the Gavin, Gavin Newsom playbook from California and make this race a referendum on Donald Trump. And that's been hard to do because with one or two exceptions, Trump has not really reared his head in this Virginia race. He did, he did a couple things that, that allowed the Democrats to, to try to tie Trump to, to Youngkin. It's clear that, that the Biden brand, as tarnished as it now is in Virginia, is, is not as dangerous uh, to the other side as the Trump brand is to Youngkin. And Youngkin has done 
very skillful job. There'll be a lot studied by other Republicans about this race and what he's done. But one thing he's done very skillfully is inspire the MAGA crowd, inspire uh, people who like Donald Trump in Virginia, while not being so weighed down by that part of the party that he can't win those suburban voters and some non-white voters in a way that um, is why Terry McAuliffe is in real danger of losing this race. I think you're on to something when you say that Trump can still mm-hmm. screw it up for Yunkin. I wonder whose job it is to say to former President Trump, please don't do, don't say, don't have any involvement in the Virginia election, knowing that Trump probably mm-hmm. wants to lay credit for Yunkin right. being neck and neck with McAuliffe, who was the governor of Virginia. Right. So Susie Wiles, who, who kind of does his politics, um, I suspect is at least uh, partially in charge of trying to restrain Gulliver, uh, tying him down. Look, the, the story of American politics over the next three years as will be told as much as by anything else. And the story of the Republican Party as much as anything else and probably more than anything else by the question of what does Donald Trump talk about? Does he talk about the past or the future? Does he talk about issues that have broad appeal or issues that have narrow appeal? And how much does he talk about these things? And and we're seeing in the next six days, if Trump is silent about Virginia and Youngkin makes no mistakes on his own, my sense from talking to people on both sides is Youngkin will win. But as, as, as you said, teeing it up, Trump could easily do something that would allow McAuliffe and his team to, to, to make this a race, again, a referendum on Trump, not a referendum on Biden. And uh, and that would obviously be much, much the preference of the Democrats who right now are very frustrated at how difficult it is to land any blows against Jenkins, Trump related or otherwise. If I'm McAuliffe, I want a microphone. I don't know whether Trump is in Bedminster or whether he's back at Mar-a-Lago, but wherever he is, I want there to be a film crew and have somebody <laughs> get him on tape talking about Yunkin. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just an interesting factual question. Will Trump do interviews in the next few days? Assuming he did, he'd probably be asked about the race. Um, again, uh, what I think is significant, besides what you're talking about, which is you know, most significant, which is will Trump tilt the race against the Republican, is is how Youngkin has stayed on Trump's good side, stayed on the good side of, of, of MAGA supporters in Virginia, for the most part, as best we can tell from the polls, without really catering there, without showing this that slavish obsession to Trump, particularly on the issue of whether the election was fairly held in, in 2020. That skill, that capacity to, to have a center-right coalition that goes uh, from MAGA all the way to suburban voters is, is, is the secret sauce for any Republican on the ballot in 2022 in a district or state that requires you know, more than just red votes to win. So you are the co-author of two New York Times hit bestsellers, Game Change and Double Down. Let me tap into that part of your historical memory. I was saying last hour that oftentimes in politics, an issue arises that you could never imagine is going to sway the outcome of a race. Maybe it's Dukakis in the tank. Maybe it's John Kerry windsurfing. Maybe it's Nixon sweating because he didn't wear makeup in the debate with Kennedy. In this particular case, like we're talking about a 1987 Toni Morrison novel 
beloved <laughs> and whether parents should have the ability to have their kids opt out. But if, if you had been a part of my first hour of the program, what would have been on your list of those those inconceivable issues that emerge in the 11th hour and suddenly determine the outcome of a race? Anything top of mind? I know I'm catching Mark Halpern cold. You, you mean you mean you mean in this race or in politics? Generally? No, no, no. Politics generally. Like just where well, like some strange well, well, thing. Romney's 47 percent video. Okay, yeah, there you would, go. Would, yes. Would, Captured by a waiter on that list. Uh, Hillary saying deplorables. I think I'd put on the list Um, something she had said at previous events. But but this one, you know, got attention. Uh, You want more? I could keep going. But well, okay, no, no, you're this is this is fun. Uh, I just thought of Obama in San Francisco talking about Pennsylvanians clinging to their Bibles and guns. Yeah. uh, George H.W. Bush at the supermarket scanner, although that was covered unfairly. The way it was covered. Uh, uh, Wait, I got one for you. George H.W. Bush looking at his watch during the debate. Yeah, that's a good one too. Uh, <laughs> I'd also say <laughs> I'm just going. I'm just going year by year now. Um, uh, uh, in uh, in uh, the uh, the Clinton reelect, Bob Dole um, did about a thousand things like that. But um, but uh, he. Uh, he, he he said at one point he said and, and this is probably not as iconic for most people but it was for me he said i'll be another ronald reagan if that's what you want me to be and it really punctured <laughs> punctured him his support with with republicans because it was just such a such a dull thing to say um but that one's not not as iconic as the ones the other ones we've talked about but that one right. always stayed with me i am i'm switching gears with mark halpern i want to talk about what's happening in washington perhaps before the president leaves to go overseas uh, page mm-hmm. one, New York Times today, Democrats urge billionaires tax to help fund bill. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, a couple of reactions to this, Mark. I was thinking, number one, that it was a mistake uh, in retrospect. I think it was a mistake for Democrats to try and get so many disparate things achieved in one package. It became about the number rather than the mm-hmm. merit of the particular issue, although I'm sure the response mm-hmm. to that is, well, there's no other way for them to get all they're seeking to get done uh, on the watch of Joe Biden. But did, I guess I'm asking you, did they reach for too much? Yeah, well, it's a great case study. If it, if it fails, it'll, it'll be it'll be a lesson in, in I think, marketing, uh, because remember, they first they tried to say first they talked about doing it all in one giant bill. And they broke out the infrastructure. Then they said, well, one is traditional infrastructure. One is human infrastructure. Right. And they tried to have that as kind of the through line to describe everything in the bill, human infrastructure. Then they went back to Biden's campaign thing, Build Back Better, which I'm really curious. And I've been since they started using it is is what kind of resonance does that have for folks? It, It seems to kind of say, you know, what you had in the Obama years that you liked, but better than that. Um, it's, you know, it's about the pandemic. There's something to it. But again, I've not seen any polling or focus groups on it uh, that would give me insight into how effective that is. But obviously, you have put your finger on something that lots of people have said, which is if, if it's themeless pudding, if it's, if it's got everything from, you know, tax increases on the wealthy to, uh, you know, daycare to elder care to environmental stuff to, you know, all sorts of other things in there. They want to put immigration in there. Um, it's difficult for the press to talk about it in any way, uh, but um, but as a price tag, as a, as a as a top line figure. And then you see Nancy Pelosi talk about it often in terms of women, the importance of, of all these elements to women. But my sense is, again, without having looked at research on it, that the you know the, the Democrats have hung their hat frequently and saying, well, the individual provisions are very popular. 
but the individual provisions are not talked about much because there are so many of them. And, uh, and the overall, you know, notion of what's in it, I think is pretty abstract to most folks, even folks who would benefit directly from some of these programs if they became law. So there's no doubt that part of the problem has been the, the lack of a clear way to, to get across what's in it. The reality is, with the exception of a few more moderate Democrats, they would have passed a six trillion dollar bill two months ago. So I think I think I think the branding was obviously an issue, but it has been. But I think I think the failure to win over those few holdouts has been, you know, has been kind of just a, a frustration to the 90 percent or so of Democrats in Congress who were ready to go long ago. Mark, you know that if Bernie Sanders were listening to this conversation, he would say it's the fault of the media. They've made it all about the bottom line number. But where the negotiation between Manchin and Cinema and Schumer and Pelosi is all about how much they can stomach, yeah. how can the media not do that? Well, I'll tell you another element to it. And, and I should just say parenthetically, I'm a big fan of Senator Sanders' critique of the media. I, I, I truly believe he's right. Too much horse race, too much personality, too much controversy, not enough trying to explain the real lives of real people. So I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of his critique. Now, this, you know, the organization I work with, No Labels, has, has, has critiqued the process, besides the fact that it's a one-party process as opposed to a bipartisan process. This has been so shoddy in how it's been done. You know, you go back to September, they said they were going to pass a $3.5 trillion bill in three weeks with no hearings of any sort. So, so for the press to cover the substance, you'd have to know what's in the substance. There'd have to be hearings and discussions and committees and, and reports. There's none of that. Now, some of this stuff has been around for a while, but I, it's difficult for the press, not inclined to cover substance, to cover substance when the, the thing's being done in smoke-filled rooms. And you look at the last 72 hours, they're literally writing environmental, major environmental policy, tax policy, and health care policy with less care and less planning then you write your shopping list for Trader Joe's. And yep. so how can, the, how can the press be expected to treat that process seriously? And in fact, I, I've been an advocate to say the press should be calling this out more. The press shouldn't be covering it. it will they or won't they? What's Manchin saying? What's Cinema saying? The press should be saying this is not in the public interest. This is, I've never run a railroad, but I can tell you this is no way to run a railroad. To make major policy, regardless of, of, of what you think of the substance of what they're trying to do, I follow this as you do so closely. I couldn't tell you a thing about the elder care provisions, not a thing. Who gets the money? What does it go for? Where has this been tested before? You know, all of these things. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? No idea because there's, there's, there's no discussion of it because they're interested in trying to jam it through. Because as I said before, 90% of House and Senate Democrats would vote for whatever Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer put before them. I would piggyback on that and say not only is is this business being – accomplished so haphazardly at the end in terms of substantively what they're going to do, but in similar fashion to how it will be paid for. Because here's what I'm taking away, that Kirsten Cinema is saying no on a conventional tax hike, either for the corporate rate or the highest income achievers, which is the conventional way to pay for something like this. And instead, kind of dusting off Elizabeth Warren's idea about a so-called billionaire's tax, where for the first time, folks would face a tax on unrealized gains in the value of their liquid assets. I'm reading this from page one of the Times, such mm -hmm. as stocks, bonds, and cash, which can grow for years as vast capital stores that can be borrowed for people to live on virtually income-free. The question, though, is, 
is it constitutional? They may decide to yeah. do this in a way that's that's not predicated on our conventional understanding of what is income under the 16th Amendment. It may not be constitutional. And of course, these people will spend millions if this becomes law both to find a new loophole and finding new loopholes. I mean, right. they're not going to they're right. not going to just hand over billions because right. because they passed a law, an unorthodox law. This law might might be a great idea. But the fact, I mean, and yes, you're right. Senator Warren has talked about it in the past, but they're, they're, it, it, it's just, you know, it's just being written on the fly. And one thing that can happen here, not just with the tax provisions, but with um, some of the other provisions they're writing here, environment, healthcare in particular, they could announce we've got a deal. You know, while we're here and talking, for all we know, they're going to announce you know, Pelosi, Schumer, White House, we have a deal. But then when they write the thing over the next two weeks, you could easily imagine Senator Cinema, Senator Manchin, Senator Warren, Senator whoever could read the actual language and say, no, 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 no. That's not something I can go for. And as you know, your listeners know, they lose, excuse me, one senator or four members of the House, then goes and pass. So this is this is no way to run a railroad, as I said. And and, um, you know, the 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 deadline of the Virginia Senate uh, governor's race, the president's trip, the expiration of the, the current funding for infrastructure, they're trying to use that to force a vote and to force people to give up on cherished provisions or accept things they don't like. I've never thought that that was going to be a strong enough hammer. I never thought that that would focus the party enough so people would say, yeah, I don't love everything in here, but I'm going to vote for it. Uh, and, and I think you're I think you're going to see that even if there's a deal announced, it, 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 we're a long way from it being codified and voted on. You think that the one point two gets done in the end and that this gets put on the back burner? I think so, except that's dependent on the president and the speaker actually trying to whip the vote. Yeah. You know, last month, Speaker Pelosi promised to whip the vote and promised to get the votes on the infrastructure bill and then just didn't. And somehow wasn't, you know, wasn't called the task for it for going back on her word. She's she's not made the exact same promise, but she did, you know, set the deadline of Halloween and that's coming up. So I don't I don't uh, I, I think I'm not sure if she whipped it, it would pass. But I know if she doesn't whip it, it won't. So sum up and make us all look smart relative to these huh. budgetary matters. What does Mark Halpern mm-hmm. think the key takeaway might be? Um, that um, that the president and Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer are going to have to uh, tie up some major loose ends and then tell the party they have no choice but to vote for it. And and they may or may not be able to do that. I can't I can't be any more definitive than that. Because they've they've failed to you know really try to get their way. They've been they've been they've been caught between the progressives and the moderates, and they've kind of just been frozen in the middle. Let's see if they unfreeze and and, and really push. But until they do that, it's just hard to say where it will go. Except except I know it won't pass. Well, that was really comprehensive, and thanks for being so giving with your time. We really appreciate it. No, oh, my my pleasure, Michael. Great to talk to you and speak to you again soon. Take care. Mark Halpern's wide world of news, ladies and gentlemen. Can I circle back to the billionaire's tax? I am going to read to you a little bit because I want to say it with precision, and I'm not expert. I think I understand it. Um, And the way into this subject, as I said to Mark, is, you know, it all comes down to mansion and cinema. Democrats can't lose a single vote, and they'll need Kamala Harris. Cinema seems to be the more uh, troublesome for Democrats than mansion. She has said 
no to conventional tax increases, meaning raise the corporate rate or raise the individual rate, which we thought was the way this was going to get paid for. How, how many times have we had conversations here recently or have I done a Steve Cordasco commercial where I've said, hey, if you're making $400,000 a year or four fifty combined with your spouse, you need to be concerned and you need to have your, your financial house and your planning in order. All right. Well, that's not the way as of today it's going to get done. In, instead, today, what, what they're saying is that they would impose a 15% minimum tax rate on corporations based on profits they report to their shareholders, not what they show to the Internal Revenue Service. And for the first time, billionaires would face a tax on the unrealized gains in the value of their liquid assets, such as stocks, bonds, and cash, which can grow for years as vast capital stores that can be borrowed off to live virtually income tax-free. That's how a, a Musk or a Bezos or a Zuckerberg lives, right? It's not, it's not that Mark Zuckerberg where, where, or, or Elon Musk, where they started with something with a value of zero. They are not selling stock and cashing in and paying capital gains on all that income, I don't think. And you folks will school me if you're more expert than I am, which wouldn't take much. No, what they're doing is they're borrowing against that wealth that is untapped. And based on that borrowing on very favorable terms, they lead extravagant lifestyles. That's how they get it done. So, you know, now comes the federal government, and this has been a pet project of Elizabeth Warren for quite some time, saying, we're not going to let you get away with that. Neil Irwin, writing for the New York Times, after months of negotiations over President Biden's big social spending bill, congressional Democrats are looking for ways to pay for it and have zeroed in on America's billionaires. The proposal raises conceptual questions about what counts as income. I like this. This was trading places BLT style. You know, oh, I get it. You're all a couple of bookies. The way I'm about to read this to you now. When Americans buy assets, shares of stock, a piece of real estate, a business that become more valuable over time, they owe tax only on the appreciation when they sell the asset. This is a longstanding feature of the capital gains tax, true throughout its century-plus history. By contrast, those who earn their money from working owe income taxes every year on those earnings. The rationale is that just because something has increased in value doesn't mean the owner has the cash on hand to pay taxes. Moreover, for those with complex holdings like interests in multiple privately held companies, it could be onerous to calculate the change in valuations every year with ambiguous results. By charging capital gains tax only when an asset is sold, both problems are solved. The taxpayer has the money to pay the tax bill and the sales price is presumably a fair market value, but it also has opened up immense possibilities for the very wealthy to legally keep their tax burden very low to a degree that has become more clear in recent years. In effect, a person can accrue capital gains indefinitely on a vast scale while owing no tax other than on dividends or other cash distributions from those assets, they can borrow against those assets to cover their spending without triggering a sale. That's the issue that confronts Democratic lawmakers like Warren who think that the billionaires are the ticket to pay for this. Now, one last thing that I want to tell you, the problem 
The problem may be in the Constitution. Because the Constitution gives Congress broad powers to impose taxes, but says, quote unquote, direct taxes, a term without clear definition, should be apportioned among the states so that each state's residents pay a share equal to the share of the state's population. Don't let your eyes glaze over. I'm almost finished, and this is really important. The 16th Amendment clarified that income taxes do not have to be apportioned. Senator Wyden, among those, very careful to say that the billionaire's tax is a tax on income, not on wealth. You can't have wealth without income, he says. Well, there will be a challenge to this. And if it's determined that wealth is not income, as per the 16th Amendment, then all these conversations will be for naught. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.